Well, we are in a brief uh, message series this month, and I've called it Why Jesus Came. And uh, we're looking at some of the key events in Christ's life, some of the key encounters that he had with a variety of men and women, uh, snapshots really that reveal clearly uh, who Jesus was and what he came to do uh, among his people. You know, in most cases, people sought Jesus out, right? They pursued him. They went looking for him. In fact, they flocked to him. They fought through crowds just to touch him or in some cases to allow his shadow to, uh, to pass by them. They positioned themselves so that they could see him, so that he could hear them as they shouted out to him. If you remember the story of Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, this squatty little man who positioned himself so that Jesus could clearly see him and uh, know who he was. There's even a case of a man, actually the friends of a man, who tore the roof off of a house and lowered their paralyzed friend down through the hole in the roof so that they could put him in the presence of Christ, so hoping that Jesus could, could heal him, which, which he did. But in the account that we're going to look at this morning, it's something a bit different. A woman is brought to Jesus against her will. She's forced into his presence. She's literally dragged, I think, kicking and screaming to Christ. Most people came willingly. Most people came expectantly, but not this woman. Now, I know that some of you are here this morning who can identify with being forced. Some of you, perhaps, were forced to come this morning. Perhaps you're married to a spouse who insists that you come or else. You know, drag your lazy out of bed and come to church with me. Some of you are younger, perhaps living with your parents. You too have been forced to be here this morning. And you know what? It's okay because I grew up being forced to go to church and look at me. You can be a pastor. Now, honestly, you know, I recognize that that's maybe why you're here this morning. Or maybe you're dating somebody. You weren't attending church until the relationship began. And she asked, do you go to church? And you replied, I do now. Right? So if you're feeling forced, you will really be able to identify with the woman in the story this morning. The account is found in John's Gospel. The 8th chapter beginning with verse 1. And I want to read this for us. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to read along, uh, please do so. It may be a familiar account to some of you. It may be completely new to others. But listen to the Word of God. It says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I have lots of questions about this passage. <laughs> lots of questions. The religious leaders drag this woman to Jesus and they make her stand in front of the crowd. Probably naked, absolutely humiliated. She's been caught in the act of adultery. Did you notice that? Not a rumor, but in the act. So my question, my first question, who's watching her? What is that about? Right? And where's the guy in this drama? Where's the man? Sleeping in? Reading the newspaper? Did he slip away when he heard the camels barking? Do camels bark? Why isn't he present? Where is he? It's the first clue that something is wrong, that this is a setup. And it's clear that these religious leaders aren't really concerned at all about justice, about seeing the right thing done. If they had been, they would have brought the man with them. The fact is, this woman was a pawn, right? She was an object. She was bait to catch bigger fish. And she was well-chosen bait because Jesus had the reputation of championing the underdog, especially, especially women. So the trap is set, and they put the question to Jesus. The law of Moses commands us to stone women like this. Jesus, teacher, rabbi, what do you say? This apparently was a no-win situation for Christ. And as we read in verse 6, the question was used to trap him, to find a basis to accuse him which was what the religious leaders were after, he certainly wouldn't contradict the law of Moses, now would he? But then Jesus does something amazing, really. He bends down and he begins to write on the ground. Simple, but it's pure genius. <laughs> what was he writing? There are all kinds of theories. It's amazing to read what people conjecture about what he wrote. Some people say, well, he was, he was drawing pictures and he was drawing arrows from the pictures that pointed to particular religious leaders who were doing particularly bad things. And I'm thinking, that would have taken all afternoon, <laughs> right? Or, <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. Somebody was saying, well, maybe he wrote, Jesus was here, have a great summer. Um, you know, whatever he wrote. But the point isn't necessarily what he was writing. We don't know what he was writing. And I believe that the purpose of him doodling in the sand with his finger was to take the focus off of this woman, was to alleviate to some degree her humiliation and her shame. And perhaps he was buying some time, contemplating his next move. He was human, after all. You know, those of you who have small children, you can relate to this, right? You're driving in the van and the kids are going nuts in the back seat, right? And so your options are to scream at them, which of course none of us would do, or to do something, to pull over, to call the police, whatever. Or to simply do something to distract them or to distract yourself or to simply be quiet while we try to decide what to do. And I think this is kind of what Jesus was doing here. The religious leaders, however, demanded an answer from him. They kept after him. And so he rises up and he says to them, Fine, stone her. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stoops down and he begins to write in the sand again. Here's an interesting possibility. 
Could it be that Jesus not only cared about preserving the integrity of this woman and alleviating her shame, could he even have cared about these religious leaders who were also on one level caught in their sin? Is it possible that he was even extending grace to them? So he stoops down and he begins to write on the ground. Upon hearing his words, these leaders drop their stones and they begin to go away one person at a time, beginning with the oldest, beginning with the wisest ones, the ones who know clearly what's happened, what's gone on. They had been cut to the quick, and even in their twisted plan to trap Jesus, they couldn't escape the fact that they too were sinners, broken and imperfect. So Jesus is left alone with the woman. Now it's interesting, isn't it, that this woman had an opportunity to go away as well. I think she could have left, along with the religious leaders. Now, granted, she probably didn't want to, but she could have. But she stays, and she's alone with Jesus, although we read that the crowd was still gathered around. He stands up, and he looks at her, and he asks her, woman, and by the way, woman is a deeply affectionate term in the Greek. It's the same word that he used when he referred to his mother. Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, sir. And Jesus says, well, then neither do I. And then he utters these incredible words. Go now and leave your life of sin. I hope you catch something of the magnitude of pardon that's in this passage. He says, essentially, you are not guilty. You are forgiven. You're free. Go. Go. He doesn't bring up what she's done wrong. He doesn't lecture her on the evils of adultery. He says, go and sin no more. In other words, you're forgiven. Now go and act and live as though you're forgiven. Walk into this new existence. This woman who was dragged into his presence, who certainly didn't want to be there, encounters the grace and the love and the compassion of Christ. And so if you're dragged here this morning... God is still here. God loves you. God wants to extend His grace to you. The amazing thing here is that Jesus completely accepts this woman without approving of her sin. A lesson that we desperately need to learn and to put into practice in the church. She's changed, I believe, although we don't know whatever happened to her, but she's changed not through punitive action or humiliation, but she's changed because she's come into the presence of God and he's extended his grace to her. Grace is what changes us. Think about it in your own life. When are you truly changed? Because someone ridicules you and yells at you, humiliates you. Most of the time when we do things wrong, we know, don't we, that we've done things wrong. We don't need someone to tell us, adultery is wrong. Really? Cell phones are bad. Really? (laughs) But Jesus accepts this woman and uh, doesn't approve of what she's done. Says, go, you're forgiven, don't sin anymore. Did she? We don't know. Did she go back to the life that she lived? We don't know. But we do know this. We catch a glimpse of the heart and the character of God in this passage. In Christ, we see clearly who God is. And it should be very compelling to us. So here's the question. What does Jesus Christ want to do for us? 
Some of you may sit here this morning saying, well, I'm not sure that Jesus wants to do anything for me because I'm actually um, kind of in a bad place. When we're exposed, when we're caught in the act, when we are humiliated and shamed, when we find ourselves in a really ugly place, when we have nowhere to turn, what does Jesus Christ want to do for us? Does He want to do anything for us? And the truth is, yes. He wants to do the same thing for us that He did for this woman. He wants to do the same thing for us that He's done for countless people and continues to do for people. He wants to replace our guilt and our shame and our humiliation and our sin with His amazing love and His amazing grace. That's what this Christian thing is all about. He wants to forgive us and He wants to set us free to be the people that He created us to be. And I believe in our hearts that's exactly what we want as well. We maybe don't know what we were created to do or to be, but we long for that. We long for something. And that's what He wants to give us. It's how the Apostle Paul described what happens when we allow God to replace our guilt and shame with His grace. He says, Sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. In other words, we're free. We're free by God's grace to be the people that God intended us to be. That is the truth. Christ's death on the cross was the ultimate, the perfect expression of God's grace and His love for humanity. When He hung on the cross, it's though He were saying to me and to you, because of your sin, you deserve to be here. But because I love you, I want you to have eternal life. I want you to live. I want you to be free. I choose to die for you. By dying on the cross, Jesus was pronouncing to each of us and to the whole world, not guilty. Right? Loved. Accepted. Forgiven. Free. But not guilty. God wants to replace our guilt and our shame with grace. That's why He died. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. So how do we, we respond to this grace? What do we do with the gift? What does Jesus Christ want us to do? Well, no matter who we are, believer, unbeliever, seeker, agnostic, skeptic, whatever it is, He wants us to do one thing. He wants us to drop our stones. He wants us to throw down the cold, hard rocks that we've been hanging on to. Some of us our entire lives, to let Him go. For those of you who know Christ, right, who follow Him, this means that you quit throwing stones at those who don't believe or don't see things the way that you do. One thing I fail to understand is how those of us who have received so much grace can be so judgmental and condemning. How we forget so quickly what God has done for us and we point the finger at other people we say, you know, bad person, sinner, evildoer. We do. It's in here. We've got to drop those stones. Don't be so quick to judge and condemn. Begin to treat others the way that Jesus did. With compassion and understanding and grace and not condemnation. You know, what would Jesus do? Jesus would not hate people. Jesus Christ loved every person no matter what. 
Listen to this. Learn to be less tolerant of the sin in your own life and more tolerant of the sin in other people's lives. You want me to repeat that? Be less tolerant of the sin in your life and more tolerant of the sin in other people's lives. In other words, look in the mirror from time to time. It's difficult. We can all learn to love people without approving of the sin in their lives. After all, it's the reason that most of us are here this morning, is it not? Someone, I bet, loved you and loves you unconditionally. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, and they continue to love you like that. That's the reason I'm here. I did everything I could in my life to make sure that I was unlovable. The way I treated people, the way I treated my friends. And you know what? There were a couple of people that continued to pursue me and love me and care for me. And it was like I would try to to conjure up the worst things I could think of to tell these people. And they continued to love me. Don't love me. We love you. You Don't love me. You don't know how bad I am. We love you anyway. That's Christ. Amazing. For those of you who are pursuing God, seeking Him, trying to make sense of Christianity, the Lord wants you to do something with your stones too because you know what? You've got them. He wants you to trade them in. He wants you to exchange them for His salvation. This means laying down your stones too and all they represent, the guilt, the shame, the sin, all of that for Christ's salvation, for eternal life. That's what He wants from all of us. The best way I can think of to explain salvation is with the word adoption. Some of you are adopted. You could do this better than I could, but here goes. Through adoption, someone who is outside the family is brought into the family and they're loved. They're loved unconditionally. They're accepted. It's as though they've always been part of the family. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to become a follower of Christ. When we say yes to Christ, Christ brings us into His family, He adopts us, and we are given all the rights and privileges of everyone else in that family, no matter what. All we need to do is say, yes, God, I want to be a part of your family. I want to step into this reality. And Paul said it like this in Ephesians. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. And, he adds, this gave him great pleasure. So no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, God is something for you and God wants you to do something. He wants you to lay down the stones. I have this image in my mind that we're, we're hanging on to these things, you know, and we're, knuckles are white. It's like, I cannot give this up. I'm not going to let go. I'll let go of this, like we talked about last week, and that, and the other thing, but not this. God, can I just hang on to this? And he says, you know what? I want all of you. I want every part of you. I even want that cold, ugly stone that you have your fingers wrapped around. I want that most of all. He wants you to give your life to Him, every part of your life to Him, either for the first time or again in a brand new way. You know, this Christian life is all about renewal. Giving our lives to Christ over and over and over because we never get it right. And God loves you more than you can comprehend or imagine Eye has not seen, ear has not heard of what God has in store for those who love Him. 
We can't even begin to imagine. All we know, it is great and he desperately wants a relationship with each one of us. He sincerely wants to replace all of our guilt and shame and sin with his grace, with his love, with his forgiveness. He wants to give us a new life, a fresh start, and a second chance. Thank God for second chances. Will you let him do this today? Begin the process. Will you step into this family? Will you give your life to Christ this morning? As Paul says, become God's friend. God's friend.